Hello, I'm Simon Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. Ah, retirement. I am 55 soon. And uh, funny enough, I was just written to by uh, my old BBC pension. They said, oh, you can start taking out your, your lump sum for your pension. I suddenly started me thinking about, not that I'm saying there's a lot fewer years. Hopefully I live to see net zero. But, um, you know, more of us are getting older. The population is getting older and we're looking to live in different places. The idea of homes, not many people want to go down the route that perhaps people would have done a generation ago. People want independent living. They want living in the way they want it. Maybe they can't afford to move to the country, but they'd like some sort of country living. Maybe they want amenities. But the other thing that's happening is people are also thinking about the environment and they want to live cleaner lives in cleaner houses. So where will that take us? What sort of retirement villages could we have in the future? Um, maybe you've seen stuff on YouTube and TV about places in America. I've seen them in Florida, where they build these entire kind of complexes, a bit like Disney World, but you know, you live, live independently as an older person, but it's all kind of supported. And it seems to be that this could well be a part that we're gonna go down. So how do you make a development like that green well there's one such being built right now it's called burnham waters and i'm delighted to say that the project director and part owner of the development ian holloway joins me today ian hello good afternoon how are you i'm very very well so burnham waters first of all where is it i think there's a few burnhams but if you can explain which one it is and what sort of development you're building just to give us our listeners an idea Certainly. The location is Burnham on Crouch, uh, which is on the Denji in southeast Essex. As you say, there are several Burnhams around the country, and, and I've already had yeah. various confusing emails in the past company. <laughs> a point you just made a few seconds ago this whole concept of Burnham Waters as a development was born after two or three years of research based upon USA, New Zealand, Holland, and Japanese care for the elderly, how they go about it, what they develop, and how they develop it themselves. So, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. Is we've taken what we think is the best of breed of all of the capabilities around the world and brought them to the UK, we think for the first time that the UK has seen anything like this. It's called Burnham Waters and it's, as you say, a retirement village. So let's go through some stats. How many homes will they be? What sort of things are we looking at? We're talking about sort of actual houses? Are we talking about flats, bungalows? And what sort of age of person will be living there? Okay, so the first phase of the development is focused upon delivering a large volume, 103 bungalows. One of the issues of elderly care, which I've experienced with my mother-in-law in the last couple of years, she can't go up and down stairs. So we've focused upon building yep. level threshold properties. Uh, the standard for that in development terms is M43. So 103 bungalows are in the first phase, all level threshold, single floor accommodations. In terms of other amenities, uh, we're providing a, a doctor's surgery. We're providing a wellness facility, which include a gym, spa, recreation area, some shops, and a care home. So conceptually, an environment where you could live through every stage of life. And I think one of the strongest parts of M43 accreditation is the properties are designed in such a way that 
as you become less and less able or less and less mobile, the property can be adapted very easily mm. to accommodate your evolving needs. So every property is capable of supporting wheelchair access. Every room is wheelchair accessible. So it's, it's that level of detail where you haven't got to move out of your home as you get older or you're forced to move out. Yeah. And, you know, you, you touched on a point there. I'm going exactly through that thing right now with my mother. You know, she's lived for the last 25 years in a first floor maisonette and we're having to move her because those stairs are at the age of 81 they're just too much for her but it yeah. is, it's a shock and a trauma to move because you know you've been there a long time and all of these things so with this concept are you kind of saying and it is as you say it's quite it's quite common in other countries like i said and it's bit, but it's a bit alien here this isn't what you'd call sheltered housing is it that's what i want to get clear no 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 not at, not at all living as you want in a complex almost like any housing state just happens to be for for older people no no it's not sheltered accommodation this this is a development where we've been entirely inclusive in in how we've gone about developing the the vision how we've gone about the planning process with the with the local planning officers from the local council the development in- includes what are classified as affordable homes, supporting the needs of the the less well-off in society. Uh, So we're integrating those into the development, which is, again, quite unique from other uh, retirement developers who focus upon the more affluent individuals. So, yeah, it's a very inclusive environment from our perspective. The reason you're on is not to talk about real estate. The reason you're on is to talk about sustainability. Mm -hmm. So give me the, the aim that you had at the beginning about how you wanted to make this development, you and your partners, sustainable. First of all, I'd like to know why. And secondly, how you're going to go about doing it. A couple of the most important things from our perspective were to develop an environment that was very low dense density in terms of development. One of the more difficult things about retiring is you end up being forced into smaller and smaller yes. multiple level accommodations. So when you look at the footprint of our development, it is very, very low density. On a 40 acre site for phase one, we're only putting 103 bungalows. Uh, so there is a huge amount of green space. What that's affording us to do, and we spend a lot of time and energy doing it, is focusing upon the impact of uh, the ecology We're putting in literally hundreds of trees, and these trees aren't saplings. These are semi-mature trees in the main, sort of three metres high already. So we're changing the landscape to create a much more ecologically balanced environment that's very good for all species of of wildlife. We're putting in things like log piles for invertebrates. We're putting a lot of bat and bird boxes and bee bricks to encourage wildlife back into the environment there. So that's a, that was a very key part of our approach on the more... I, I think that's very interesting, but I'm assuming that this was, is it arable land, farming land it was, or is it a brownfield site originally? This was arable land to start with, yeah. which which supports obviously one type of ecology. Yeah, yeah. We've looked at, at enhancing that ecology and encouraging other species back into the environment okay i hate to say it is i mean i love what you're doing but why because you'd kind of think developers generally go if i've got this much land how much housing can i put in you know the land that you're using for green spaces and trees you could build more units and make more money we, we could so why have you decided not to we've, we've done that because we want to build an environment which is the only be- the best way I can think of it is, is utopian environment. We've we've been spent a lot of time lobbying uh, both uh, government and MHCLG about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it's probably one of the biggest areas of our differentiation from the from the market or competition for retirement living that we are such a low density environment that's focused upon the ecological factors ourselves. 
yes, we could theoretically make a lot more money by building much more dense housing down there. Yeah. But it wouldn't it wouldn't deliver the environment we want to deliver. And we're getting very strong support from central government because it is such an open and visionary approach to how retirement living could be in this country. You sound like an eco-warrior to me, Ian. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> a housing developer who doesn't want to make as much money as he wants and wants to protect the environment with some bee and bird boxes. I like it. I like it. There's definitely an element of, of altruism here, but both the chairman and myself who got together seven years ago have experienced difficulty for our elderly relatives in, the, in their later life. Yeah. And we wanted to change things for the future generations as they get older. And you, you mentioned uh, before you started about the the fact that the population is expanding in the yep. in the elderly state. Yep. By 2030, there's an increase of over 31% of people over 60 years of age in this country. Wow. So where do they go and what, where do they want to live? Do they want to live in more and more condensed housing, high-rise housing, or do they want to live, as you said very kindly at the beginning, in a more relaxed environment, more yes. relaxed surroundings? You think there's another thing here, which is Ian, we're different, aren't we? You know, I remember, look, I, <laughs> I don't know how old you are, but... You know, I qualified for Saga five years ago. Now, when <laughs> I was a student in the 80s, Saga was people, and, and there was no disrespect for people listening on Saga holidays, but it was coach tours to like, you know, black people. I was like, oh my God, no one wants to be 50. I don't think anything like that. So in a way, has the demographic of who people are and who will be 60 in the next 5, 10, 15 years also had a shape on what you're trying to build now? I, I think one of the more difficult subjects to address is that there's no one size fits all sure we, we we came to the conclusion very early on in our research looking around the global markets for retirement living that statistically you look at america you look at new zealand australia it's only around about six percent of retirees that want to live in a retirement community mm. in the uk that figure is less than half of 1% currently. Of course. Primarily due to the fact that the resources, the environments like Burnham Waters don't exist for them to move into. So one would expect there would be a tenfold increase in people living in these environments if they are built. You made me think of uh, Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. So it's, it's a bit like that. Your emphasis on the ecology, part of it I get, which is, you know, altruism is a great thing. But also, I suppose the other part of it is if you look at something to be sustainable, that has got to be something as a, a narrative that drives the way this development ages, you know, the, the way this thing goes over the years and, and what happens to it. And is that a very important part of what you think would be the key to success for this? Because if you create an environment that is appealing, it is more kind of open and a bit countryside or whatever it is, A, as you say, the trees mature, the, the land matures, and it becomes even more pleasant as the years go by. But B, it kind of might be a, a, a bigger draw than building a bunch of flats with all the nice, you know, snazzy gyms and all that, but much more urban setting. Yeah, obviously, there is a massive appeal for the, the green and tree and sort of England's green and pleasant land, etc. On the other side, it's sort of the more technical side, we've been focusing very heavily upon electricity, Every property has been, every bungalow, every property has its own EV charging point. All the lighting across the environment, across the development, we've been working with a, a supplier who's been very focused upon the latest technology and delivering low energy lighting. We work, we're putting a PV or solar panels in a, a lot of the buildings to mm -hmm. help generate not only low cost, but more efficient delivery of, of energy. We have electric minibus on site, so ferrying residents from 
the lo- from the site to Burnham itself and other locations. We've got electric cycles we're putting on site. We've got electric carpool sharing. So there's an awful lot of thought gone into delivering a long-term, highly sustainable environment that, that fits in with the, the focus of delivering a, a better future. You've decided, or I think your, your aim is to cut the traditional build footprint of CO2 emissions for something like what you're building for by, by a third, is that right? But you aim to reduce CO2 by 30%. I mean, that's big. That's quite a big, big chunk. Are you saying that's 30% over the lifestyle, lifetime of the whole site? Or are you going to say, like, this first phase will already be 30%, and then as we, we go, we hope to increase as new technologies come on board? So we haven't set any specific goals in terms of what we're achieving. What we're tasking our team and our consultation team of architects, M&E engineers, et cetera, et cetera, with is continual evolution and betterment of standards as they're as they're evolving. Right. We're ahead of the curve in in phase one. We're already looking at the planning of how we develop beyond the first sixty three bungalows and what we do to make changes to further enhance and improve their footprint uh, on the planet. So there are no specific goals other than we are driving to achieve ongoing and continuing improvements the whole time ahead of the market competition. The site hasn't been without a bit of a a sort of few niggles, hasn't it? Because I understand that District Council didn't want to give you planning permission. And then you took that to appeal and they sort of relented and I think I had to pay. That's not strictly true. Um, the The first phase... We got planning permission for straight away, right? And uh, literally have started building that, as I mentioned to you in, in the prelims, beginning of May last year. Right. Phase two, uh, there was a, a shift change in the power base of the local councillors through through election changes. Yeah. And, and phase two, whilst it was approved at outline, when we went for reserve matters, they decided that uh, they did they wanted to object to it, which was kind of odd because they were objecting to something they'd already previously approved in phase one yeah that is weird it is very weird indeed and unfortunately from the council's point of view the government inspector at appeal had the same opinion that you've just uh, you know come to which is if you've approved it once why wouldn't you approve it again next door mm. where we've made it further enhancements again so he he awarded development to us and and put a lot of costs against the council which was to their you know, but isn't that interesting? You just raised a real issue, which is, you know, if you look at what's going on throughout the whole net zero debate, planning is a big thing, whether it's planning for wind farms, planning for developments. And it doesn't matter. You, you said a very interesting phrase, this green and pleasant land, you know, the English garden, the Englishman's castle. There was a thing about even if you build a sustainable development on a green belt site, which it was, I assume, is if it's in in farmland. There are people who think we don't want the housing, and do you think that's a real going to be a real issue for us? We have a housing crisis, we have an energy crisis, and a sustainability crisis. But politics will always play a role in that, and there's no sort of downer on the council. I'm sure the people who are there thinking what they wanted to think based on kind of what they felt their constituents wanted. But this wider issue of planning how do you see that developing over the next few decades if we're going to do those two things of improve housing and development? you've raised one of the burning questions in development that i've 
begun to encounter the last six or seven years and having spoken to other developers it is the biggest issue in development generically you know we've worked very closely with the local council planning officers the you know the paid professionals who work for the council to determine what planning needs they have locally and they have been extremely supportive of what we've done hence we were given planning permission for phase one but the planning process is such that the elected members the non-professionals who form the council members have to put to a vote what the professionals put forward to them in terms of planning applications. Our planning application was put forward with a recommendation for approval from the professional planners and the members who've been elected by the locals said, no, we don't want it in our backyard. And that's a really big thing, isn't it? That's symptomatic countrywide. Nobody ever wants something being built in their backyard. But as you said, there is a housing crisis. Yep. There is a specific housing crisis with regards to elderly living. Um, People are stuck in there as they get to sort of 55, 60, 70 years of age. They're stuck in larger and larger houses they they might want to get out of. There's nowhere for them to go. And there's nowhere for people the next generation to move into unless they build more and more houses. So yes, yes. Yeah, that's a really important point for the, the younger people. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to release the, the tension at the upper end of the scale, which is the, the older people's, give them better choice of where to go, to give younger people a chance to get up the ladder into bigger and bigger houses that exist. In terms of what they're being built with, we talked about the fact that they're going to be sustainable. What are you using? Are you using wood, bamboo? Have you got a mixture of materials? What are you doing to keep the things like the concrete down or, or whatever? As I said before, that there is all of the work we're putting into this with our team of consultations and architects is to come up with the most effective and efficient manner of building. Unfortunately, you can't get away from the fact that there is an element of brick. There's an element of, of cement still being used. Yeah, We're focused upon building timber frame right now to give some of the best insulation capabilities for the properties. We're putting in one of the best examples in terms of changing regulations. We just, We took the decision over a year ago that rather than putting in what was required in terms of double glazing we put in treble glazing throughout the entire property from an acoustic point of view from a better u-value perspective and also more efficient from a heating point of view so it's more the evolution of getting improvements into our construction that's working with us rather than saying a specific material is being going to be used because of its value right okay so you haven't said all right we just want it all timber whatever you're trying to create the biggest long i mean what's the lifespan you want for these properties They'll outlive me, for certain sure. (laughs) Uh, The planning obligations we've got are that the development is there in perpetuity, so that's as long as perpetuity lasts. And so it's planned to be there for, you know, the next century and the century beyond. Right, so this is what I'm saying. These these are kind of the other issue people have with, you know, I don't know if you know about it, but I went years ago to, I don't think it's still there, down in Croydon, uh, there was a sort of zero, Z. I think they're called Z-bed years ago. There was like a zero carbon homes project. But it was all built to last a lot, 15, 20 years, something like that, um, short term. What you're trying to say here is, so the listeners can get it, this is about changing the future of how we plan for older living with permanent housing, but much more environmentally friendly. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you you mentioned a place in Croydon. I remember 40 years ago, before Milton Keynes was developed, they built a development in Milton Keynes called the Energy Centre to show what living could look like in the future. Yeah. And it's quite sad that that really didn't take off in the way it should have done 40 years ago. Yeah. But I'd like to think from that as a recollection from 40 years previously that I certainly learned from that and embodied a lot of those things we've seen there into what we're doing now to deliver a long-term sustainable future for the development of Burnham Waters. You're going to have technology changing, obviously. 
right, yeah. in the next few years. Some people are talking about um, the hydrogen mix in gas and then hydrogen-ready boilers. You know, I don't know whether you're going to put in ground source or air source heat pumps, but there's things happening. How do you ensure, you talked very nicely about how you're going to make it sort of future-proof for the person, i.e. the wider doors and all that should things get worse and you end up being more immobile. How are you going to build in to make sure these things continue to be benefiting for new technologies? So, for example, if someone says, actually, we've developed a much better battery in five years' time that can use to store, could you then swap out the ones you put in or are they all concreted or boxed in and that's it? Sorry, mate, your stuff's pretty old and that's the way it carries on. Again, you've hit the nail on the head. Unfortunately, a lot of the available components aren't fit for purpose for the next 100 years still mm. today. Yeah. And you, you only got to look at the evolution of, of telephones over the last 30 years on mobile yeah. phones to see that they're, they're ever-changing and better components are being used. We've got to what you want, one of your specific points. We are going with air source heat pumps for each of the properties today. We're putting in some very, very robust boilers that work off the back of them, underfloor heating in all of the properties. And, you know, as developments occur in each of the component spaces, we've made allowance for the fact that these could be retrofitted. Right. Most of my life has been spent on seeing things get, they improve, they tend to get smaller, not larger, they tend to get more efficient than, than they were before. So uh, we're not expecting to have to need more space to put changing technology into, we're expecting to find, use less space if those changes occur. Um, and probably one of the best examples of that right now is that we're looking at moving from a slate roof system, yeah, a slate roof system that actually where the slates are PV themselves rather than putting PV panels. Oh, yeah, yeah, gotcha, yeah. I've always thought that was the right way, tiles that are actually already little solar panels. Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at that for the beyond this first phase of 63. That's one of the things we're looking at doing. We've seen we've seen the construction of those. Some Several councils across the country are already using them. And we're having trouble discerning the difference between what was an original slate versus a PV slate, which is good. I'm on your site as we're speaking. And I like the houses. They're, they're nice little. They look very much like American houses, actually, I would say. Like the ones you see on the, the movie where the uh the nice wide flat roofs and just on one level who's going to live here you've got 700 your building i think you said that you've already sold sort of 60 what sort of people because yeah. i would have thought don't get me wrong maybe it's just kind of like eco types who are buying it going this is where i want to live or is it just people who say oh i just want to live somewhere slightly different what, what sort of customers have you had the demographic of the customers well, first of all, they're all over 55. They have to be. That's the, that's one of the conditions yeah. of the planning. Their age is right now actually to, uh, north of 65 is, I think, is the average we've got so far. I wouldn't say that they are eco-warriors. I would say that more that's driving the, the sale of the properties is the look of the properties and exactly the setting of, yeah. of them as it stands. You've seen from our website, each of the bungalows has a a very significant bifold door at the back of the living room area with a, yes. a gabled window above and some breeze soleil. That's obviously a feature from the architect's point of view of how the buildings look and is, is a key attraction to them. But it also provides inside-out living. It provides a very big panoramic view from the living room out to the outside nature world where we've built all these trees and e ecologically driven environments. I think that's what's more is appealing to the buyers so far. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard specifically that people are buying because it is more sustainable. Isn't that the point? And that's exactly the point of these podcasts and everything, which is our motto of Future Net Zero is better business, better planet. I.e., 
it's people like you who are making the business of housing better. Because look at what Tesla did for cars. Before that, everyone thought EVs were like boxes. Yeah. Suddenly, you just make an EV look like a car that you want to drive, and all cars are now becoming EVs. Do you think this is what's going to happen, that actually no one really cares whether the house is is that strongly eco? They'll just expect it, but they want the house they want to live in. And this is the shift that people have to think about, people like you who are in the building game, to think you just got to build the best house and put in the things that are ecological as, as kind of a standard. I would really like to think that if I've done anything or we have done anything as a team yeah. collectively that's going to be testament to our vision, this Burnham Waters will be it when we're long gone. I think it will form the blueprint for retirement living in the future in this country. Everything you've just said very kindly about how people behave and react to the Tesla and how they've developed cars across. I'd like to think that this is what will happen in the retirement living marketplace. We've spent a lot of time developing this for that very reason, to actually deliver more and more of these across the country and push the market and the competition down the same path of delivering better environments for elderly living. Uh, Last couple of bits before we finish up. So you're starting now to have the first people you hope moving in by the end of the year. Yeah. And I think you said it's another six, seven years before it's fully built. The whole build program is about seven years. Right. Okay. What's been the industry reaction? So other developers, have they come to say, what the hell are these people doing? Have they said, oh, that's interesting. I think there's fair to say there's been an element of that. Jealousy? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think the most challenging thing we've done is to develop an environment, as I said, that is very low density. Yeah. And you've jumped on it straight away and said, well, why aren't we building more properties and making more money? Yeah, exactly. But well, we don't want to, uh, which <laughs> is very altruistic, I know. But it, that's probably the thing that's causing the competition the biggest heartache. Ian, I can see your halo from here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful. And that is the problem, isn't it? Because they're going, flipping ink numbers. What are they doing? Yeah. And oddly enough, another thing we've took a, a view on very, very early on, retirement living in this country thus far has been predicated upon leasehold. Yes. And yours are freehold, aren't they? As a freehold. Which is brilliant. And that was something which our, the, the marketplace of retirement living took a very dim view of when we went public <laughs> with that. Well, I think it's brilliant. Question is, Ian, <laughs> you're going to live in one yourself. <laughs> My wife and I are very happy to have one of these as our home very shortly. Right. I'm in the position of, of needing to downsize from a... So you'll be moving in to your own thing. This is great. Yeah, I'll be very happy to live down there. question is, once your wife goes in and goes, I don't want to change all of this, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> now, she's seen the development process up to now, and she's, okay. she's delighted with the product. <laughs> Ian, I wish you all the best. Um, we'll come and film it. We'd love to come and film it because... We'd love to have you down there. We'd yeah, because you're only up the road from us. We're in sort of North London. And, and, and I love this sort of idea of innovative ways of making what's normal better. That's what I'm trying to get at, which I think you're doing, which is why I wanted you on the podcast. So we'll we'll be in touch and we'll come up. But if you're listening in, have a look at it. Check it out. It's really, really lovely housing that uh, Ian and his team. So Burnham Waters is what you look for on, on Google. And uh, very nice pictures, very nice little plants, even a grandchild helping in the pictures. Very good. Nicely put in. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. No, thanks a lot for joining us on the podcast and all the best. Cheers. Thank you. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero 
at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.